All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Uh, This year marks the 30th anniversary of the band Slater Kinney. Slater Kinney are an incredibly influential band. They formed in the mid-90s in the Pacific Northwest out of the very famous, very important Riot Girl movement. And they have been called the greatest rock band of the 90s by like a couple of real serious music critics. Slater-Kinney are incredible. They've influenced everyone from St. Vincent to My Chemical Romance. Even like R.E.M. Like I know R.E.M. were around before Slater-Kinney, but Peter Buck from R.E.M. said something like that. Like once they heard Slater-Kinney, it changed R.E.M. after that. I mean, you gotta be pretty, you'd be pretty good to influence R.E.M. mid-career. The band is made up of Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. You might know Carrie from the show Portlandia she did with Fred Armisen. Make that very, very funny show. And they went into the studio to work on their 11th studio album, Little Rope, and they thought they had an idea of how it would go down, you know, like it would always go down. They go in and record a few songs that they've been writing. So then Carrie Brownstein, who is the guitarist in the band, by the way, gets this call while they're making the record um, that it's kind of hard to imagine getting. She finds out that her mom and her stepfather were killed in a car accident while they were vacationing in Italy. So um, a lot of the tracks for Little Rope were already written by the time she got that news. But as the grief set in, I mean, it sort of informed everything on the record. I mean, just listen to this. Slater Kinney and Say It Like You Mean It. So how did making this record help them heal? What's been sustaining that partnership, that friendship for 30 years now? And yeah, what happens when your band gets called the greatest rock band of the decade? Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein of Slater Kinney join me to talk about it. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. That's my pleasure. Um, Carrie, what's it like here in the th- about 30 years in 2024? What's it like here in the 30 years thing? <laughs> uh, it's always a little surreal. I mean, when you when you start a band in your late teens, early 20s, I'm pretty sure no one is thinking about, you know, a decade or two or nearing staring down three decades. So we try to just be in the present with it. You know, we have a new record coming out. We tend to look forward more so than look back. And I think we're, we're pretty wary of, you know, nostalgia based, I don't know, leanings or getting overly sentimental, but of course we're proud of our accomplishments and definitely excited for, for the next chapter. I think you're, you're, you're um, wary of the nostalgia 
eagerness, like the idea that like, oh, this could be an opportunity for you guys to play the, you know, the old songs or get mired in the past of the band and not be a band that's still making music and still trying to push ahead. Yeah, I think the artists who we love, whether they're still around today, you know, like Nick Cave or Lucinda Williams or Bruce Springsteen, these are artists that put out records and then they tour, you know, that's, you just, you keep going and, you know, people like Prince or David Bowie before that, they just always had a record and sure, you know, some of the earlier records might be the fan favorites, but they were dedicated to the craft of music making and to pushing the narrative and to meeting people in the present moment and bringing their current selves to the landscape. And I think that's what we want to do. That's the most honest version of ourselves. But of course, when we play live, we do love to play the old songs. We like to incorporate the old and the new. And that's that's the pl- privilege. That's the pleasure of having 11 albums is that we get to do that. <laughs> we get to choose from so many songs. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you about this, but it is, I do feel a bit weird asking you about it, but I know it's it's part of the story of the of the record, so I should. Um, so, so Carrie, you know, when, when you were making, you had some of the songs done for this record and then you get news that your mom and your, and your stepfather have been killed in, um, in an accident in, in Italy. And, um, when I was reading about it, I was just so sad. I was just so sad to, to, to hear about it. And. Then I, I was reading about like, you know, okay, well, they must have stopped the record or they must have stopped making music. And I can, I can only imagine, you know, what it was like to go through. And then I, I read that you kept playing guitar, sort of like the physical action of playing guitar became really ther- therapeutic while you were trying to grieve, grieve that. Can you tell me a little bit about that as much as you want? Sure. I think the ritual of playing was really crucial grief is it renders you very incoherent there is it is not something that I was accustomed to it was a void that I couldn't really make my way out of uh and there's a disorientation I think to it but guitar is something I've known I know what the choreography of playing guitar is I know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands as a grieving person. I don't know what to do with my feet. You know, your your body is, it's like reconfigured uh, because you're in such a strange emotional state. So guitar was a way of giving myself shape again. And to create songs with it was a way of giving form to something that felt very nebulous. Uh, it, so it, it really just was about having something that I knew how to do. I found that I was turning to it day after day, even if it wasn't for the sake of working on a song, but just for the sake of playing. Yeah, I remember um, I, I lost my dad when I was young. I lost my dad when I was in my 20s. And I remember just this feeling of... Um, Doing nothing was kind of the worst thing I could do. Like lying on the couch and being sad. While it was useful, like, you know, I definitely, did, I definitely did a lot of that. I definitely did a lot of it. But playing music um, and, and doing the things that I knew how to do, 
I felt guilty about it a little bit doing it. Like I felt guilty. I felt like I shouldn't be doing these things. I shouldn't be doing anything that gives me any sort of encouragement or motivation or anything like that. But I did I did find it it it, it really helped. I can relate to you on that. Yeah. I mean, in the end, so little of grief is just actually crying. That's yeah. part of it. Weeping and wailing and all those things. But the rest of it is just this mush that you're wading through, that you're working through. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to to deal with mush. Corin, what like what do you, what do you do when it comes time to go back into the studio? You know, I think it in a way it gave us like a deeper purpose for what we were doing, and in that we felt like, you know, when you when you face death, when you face the reality of it that all of us will face, it it gives your life meaning. It's like, oh, I for sure will not be here someday, and what do I want to do with the remaining time that I have? What is important to me? And it turned out this band is still really important to us, you know, and it's a place where we can put some of our deepest feelings, you know? And so that was, was, was motivating, I think in trying to finish the record and make it as, you know, make the songs as good as we could. Let's listen to, to one of the songs. Uh, This is Untidy Creature. You built a cage but your measurement's wrong Cause I'll find a way And I'll pick your lock bit of Untidy Creature by Slater Kenny. Corin, tell me a little bit about that song. Yeah, this song is, um, it's funny because it was actually the first song that we wrote for the album. Um, but we weren't entirely sure about it. Like, I think that it it came so naturally. It came with like this giant riff that Carrie had. And I, I kind of knew what to do with the vocals. They just had to be super big and, you know, it was very bold sounding. But, you know, a lot happened in the U.S. Um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. A lot is going on, you know, for women in this country. And it became a place where we could, where I could put my feelings. I could put my feelings. And I, I, I sort of talked about the idea of feeling, you know, trapped and feeling frustrated and feeling like I was being looked at as lesser than, you know, that's kind of what the song is about. And, um, you know, I, I tried to make it like a very personal moment, a very personal experience of that to make it something that everyone could be inside when you're inside the song, you know, kind of the perfect friend to turn to at the perfect moment. That's sort of what the song turned into. I feel like I, I might be wrong about this. Carrie, I feel like there's more Corin lead vocals on this record than in other Slater Kenny records. Am I right about that? I think you are. And in the state I was in when we were making this record, my voice was not where my strengths lied. I, you know, I just, um, I felt vulnerable and I knew that I could be more helpful as a writer, a guitarist, arranger, reharmonizing 
all of the work of songwriting, but not necessarily lend my voice. So I asked Corin to sing more. You know, we often just volley the vocal duties back and forth. We'll say, oh, why don't you, I'm singing the verse here. Why don't you take the chorus or vice versa or sing with me here? And I just kept saying, you know, can you sing this one? Corin really stepped up and her voice and her singing are some of my favorites. They have been for 30 years. She's such a, a great singer and she now has so much more control and range and it's it's pretty stunning and striking. So yeah, I just needed to hear that voice. And so you, you, you needed right. to hear it. You you needed to hear that voice. Absolutely. Yeah, the first first couple of tracks we released for this record have all been Warren Tucker songs in terms of the vocals. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy about that. She's less excited. She's let's less listen, excited. Let's listen to another one. That's Don't Feel Right by Slater Kinney. Corinne uh, Tuck and Carrie Brownstein of the band are, are with me to talk about their new record, Little Robe. Corinne, I love that song. T- can you tell me a little bit about that song? Yeah. Um, that one actually is both of us. That's that's actually Carrie's singing more on on Don't Feel Right. Um, you know, I, I think I think that song is is just it's it's so great because it it combines all the feelings of, you know being down in the dumps, being, feeling sad. And, um, and this, like the idea that like melody kind of pulls you out of that, right? Like those are some of my favorite songs. Like it's a great Tom Petty song, you know, it's just like, he's, he's driving, he's feeling down and the song itself is what like pulls you out of it. And so I think that's kind of what we wanted to do with the melody and the chorus, you know, was just to like, have this big thing that people feel like singing along to because that, you know, times have been kind of tough and, and you want to be write something that sort of pulls people up. How, how did the singing feel, Carrie, given everything you just told me? How did it feel? You know, it is still the, the, I love the craft of it. I think that it just was harder performance wise. Yeah, It took me longer to do my vocals in the studio than it normally does. And you know, that's understandable when I look back. I think at the time I just was frustrated, but there was something so emotional. The The lyrics on a song like that, you know, which deal with despondency and depression. Yeah, it's like when you're still in it, you know, I just didn't have um, the benefit of, of, of distance or time. And so everything was very compacted. So when I stepped up to the microphone, I, I just felt like it... it, it was holding a mirror to my, you know, my feelings. And it was a lot for me. It's just hard to sing from that place. I can tell, you know, just from talking to the two of you, just like the the love and, and, and kind of support I can see from 
from from from one to the other. I mean, especially as you're going through this this incredibly hard time and and, and making this record, you know, like what what did you notice about each other in the early days? I mean, for for people who don't know, um, Corin, you were in, in Heaven's to Betsy, and, and Carrie, you were in uh, Excuse Seventeen, and you were in different bands as as teenagers. And um, the 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 lore is is about you guys would play bands together, and you you start the side project, and it becomes uh, Slater Kinney, and, and kind of takes off. But what I've never heard you talk about is like what did you notice about one another that made you go like oh yeah let's start a side project with that person i was like darn she's she's pretty shredding on guitar yeah <laughs> darn <laughs> well i don't know if i'm supposed to swear so i just you know what you no, can you can swear it's all right you're okay yeah. okay it, it was just cute darn darn it um <laughs> yeah and i i was such a fan of heavens to betsy and corin's singing and songwriting also she just was tough and kind of scary like intimidating a little bit and I liked that I am not an intimidating person I am just I feel very nerdy and I was excited by that I thought oh this is there's an element of danger here people don't know how to read this person who is relatively small but when they sing like the paint can peel off the walls (laughs) and you know you want to be bigger than you are and I felt like foreign and what we could do combined would would be a conduit to just something grand and scary I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. More of my conversation with Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein of Slater Kinney coming up. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favorite song in his entire catalog, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Here's more of my conversation with Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein of the band Slater Kinney. I'm, I'm always curious about like when an era and a place become sort of mythologized hearing what the actual place and time was like. Like I, I spent, I talked to people from like the early, like the mid sixties folk revival in Greenwich village. And I'll go like, what was that actually like? And then like Judy Collins will be like, well, we were actually all just kind of broke and, you know, and, and, and no one really liked us. Or I'll ask people questions about like, Oh, what was the Bronx like in like 1970? Like it's mythologized to me. I'm here on an Island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Like we had to read everything about, we had to read about everything in magazines and on TV. So like these things become mythologized. Olympia and and Seattle and and Riot Girl and the scene and that you and your band came out of is also kind of one of those scenes. It's become sort of a mythical um, scene over the years, an incredibly important one, incredibly influential one. Did, did you feel like it was a moment? Like Carrie, did you feel like it was even in the moment? Because I, I, I have talked to people who said who have said something like it felt like something special was happening in this moment that 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 we were in. Did you feel any of that? I definitely did. I think what I was aware of was that, you know, there would be these bigger bands, whether it was a band like Rancid or Jawbreaker or someone like Beck or Stereolab, 
they would play Olympia. They would play Olympia not because it was going to be a big show, but because they knew there was a scene there. And so it was a very special time, even just as a fan of music. The notion of what a band was, was very elastic. There was a lot of deconstruction of the norms, a lot of eschewing of, you know, convention. And that was really galvanizing to be around. I mean, even when you mentioned Kill Rock Stars, which you brought up sort of in the, in the early parts of the interview, which was the the the, um, the label you guys were on in '97. The I, w- I was watching your Nardwar interview from when you went to Vancouver in like I think it was '97 or '98 or something like that. And he asks you, Sleater, Kenny, you guys have stayed on Kill Rock Stars, which I think is amazing, an indie label, right? Yes. Have you been bribed with anything? Because Rose of the band Tiger Trap was once bribed with a turntable to join a major label. Have you guys been bribed with anything? Just lots of nice dinners. But, I mean, looking back, the, the story of a lot of bands who got to your level was that they start out in underground, and I have no, just no disrespect and no judgment. They start out in underground scenes. They start out in more avant-garde scenes, Carrie, as he said. Eventually, you know, they, they, they take a nice big, Major label for probably for the right reasons to get big distribution and for all kinds of money and and, and to have stability and have their music, you know, and get out to other people. But you really didn't do it. And judging by the Nardwar answer, it was on the table a couple of times. So, Corinne, looking back now with a bit of distance, um, why, why was it important to resist that? Why was that the case? I think that we needed to feel part of like the independent music scene was really important to us. Like we wouldn't have been a band without that scene that we started in, right? It was it was like super feminist. It was very avant-garde, as Carrie said. It really supported like our values and where we came from and how we wanted to be in the world, you know? Like it really let us find who we were as pe- people and as artists and as writers, you know? And like that to me is what has let us develop into the people that we are and being able to write this kind of record 30 years later, you know, it's not always been easy. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's helped us develop our voice over the years. Carrie, when the, when the acclaim starts coming in of like, Oh, Slater Kinney are the, are the greatest rock band of the decade or the, you know, the best rock band in the world. Obviously, that that's not something you can take in. I mean, I haven't met anybody who's heard any of those things about themselves and been like, "Yep, yeah, we we took that as validation that we were doing the right thing and we and we believed it." But what do you uh, do? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do with that when it happens? We do exactly what all the other people who answered that question <laughs> do. You know, it, those superlatives you have to ignore. You know, it's nice to get a compliment there. Yeah. But you can't, you know, if you are going to tune into the praise, you have to tune into the criticism. There's an element of kind of tuning out the noise on both the positive and negative ends of the spectrum that I think allows you to maintain your own point of view and your own process. And that the diligence of music making and album writing, the intentionality, that has to come first. And you can't not care what people think, but I think it is important to maintain a certain, I don't know, just a, just a spine that exists without like, you know, the, the accolades, like the core has to be there. Uh, whether 
or not people are talking about you. Um, Corin, before we go, um, you know, there was there was time off in the uh, in the band and you made these, these solo records. And I got to know Carrie through the Portlandia show. But I mean, through all of this, um, what what keeps you coming back to, to Slater Kenny? I think, you know, when you asked about sort of what we first noticed about the other person is like, I think that our relationship and and the kind of collaboration we have is like really special, truly. And that there isn't someone else that I could write like this new album that we've made together. I'm, I think, I think what we have is, is unique. And, um, you know, I think we're both grateful to still be making music together all these years later. Well, it's, it's been beautiful to get the chance to talk to the two of you. I, I really loved the record and I loved getting to go back and listen to the old records to get ready for this. And it was such a treat. Thanks. Thanks for making the time to you. Thanks for having us. Tom. Thanks so much. That's Untidy Creature by Slater Kinney. Before that, my conversation with Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein of Slater Kinney. Their new album, Little Rope, is out everywhere now. Uh, that's it for us. The other conversation up on our podcast today. Um, I love this. June Clark is a, is a Canadian artist, Canadian-American artist, who left, fled the U.S., as she puts it, when her husband uh, was dodging the draft uh, for Vietnam. She wasn't an artist until she comes to Canada. She gets uh, to Canada, she gets a, a camera, starts photographing Toronto, trying to find community, trying to find something that reminded her of home. And now her work is part of a major exhibition at one of the most important art galleries in the country. My conversation with June Clark, find that wherever you got this podcast. And, and if you feel like subscribing, I think they call it following on Spotify. If you feel like following or subscribing, no G's, please do so. See you soon, later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.